Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 66. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. The Department of Defense is not the only agency that is trying to figure out how to get technology and solutions to the end user faster, but it's probably the most active in using vehicles to do that. Is that a fair statement, do you think? Probably fair. Most federal agencies buy more stuff than most other organizations on the planet. Uh DOD is just at the top of that heap. Stan Soloway of Solero Strategies is here, and the most common way that people talk about this is by using the term other transaction authorities. Is that the major vehicle that the Defense Department's using, and they're not the only ones, but the primary ones? It's the major vehicle. Um, it's gone up in spending over the last four or five years from about four or $500 million, so we think it might hit as much as $5 billion this year. So that's a pretty big leap, even though within the realm of DOD spending, it's still a small amount. But that's something. I mean, that's a 10 times increase over just four or five years. So, yeah, I would say other transactions, which for those who don't know, are basically – it's just basically the authority to do contracts without the FAR being applied. So FAR-exempt contracts. Mm-hmm. Originally designed for R&D, they are focused on doing prototypes. Uh, but DOD has unique authority when you were talking about other agencies are doing things. DOD is the only agency that has full authority to do what they call production agreements under other transactions. And that's really what's turned the, turned this thing loose. Um, it used to be that, and it still is true in most other cases, that you can only use another transaction authority to do the R&D to get to that final development phase when you're ready to go into production and, and out. DOD has the authority to use and other transactions after prototype through what they call production. So that really opened the door. You'd say that DOD has this authority for R&D, but they're using it for other things. Talk about its original purpose. What kind of research and development are we talking about, and how is that? How have they expanded the use of this flexibility? Other transactions were have been around for uh, 50 or 60 years. I forget when they actually started. And they really were a tool to get out to the commercial space and do straightforward R&D with companies that are doing commercial R&D and aren't inclined to do business with the government in R&D. Um, through the 90s, uh, when I was m- most involved with them, the majority of the other transactions actually were awarded to large integrators like Boeing and Lockheed because they were the funnels for these new entries, these new capabilities coming into the system. Uh, and they were really around weapon systems requirements, so lethality and brilliance and so forth. What has happened since the production authority was added, which is not a new idea. We were fighting for this 20 years ago. Congress finally decided about three years ago that this was really a smart thing to do because there were barriers to these companies getting beyond development. So what good does it do me if I have to fall back under the traditional methodology? Uh, now, as you see at DOD, is a number of, uh, a number of uh, cases where they're using not, not just for weapon systems but for business systems. We see major logistics system transformations taking place under other transactions. Financial management systems. U.S. Transportation Command did another transaction for distributed ledger technology, for example. They did a very large other transaction also at Transcom for cloud migration services. That one was sort of controversial for some unique authorities that the Defense Innovation Unit had, but leave that aside. That's, you, you can see it actually happening in the business area, which is very different. 
And I think that, you know, you, you mentioned, Francis, earlier in the opening about this being about speed. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd argue that it's partially speed to contract, but it's really speed to value. Okay. If you think about it a little bit differently, it, it could take several months to do a deal, but I'm getting the capability in the field and delivering value faster. Okay. This is a device that is outside the traditional rules of federal procurement. And it seems to me everything that is used to fix procurement is to get it outside of the traditional rules. When are we going to decide that the traditional rules ought to be scrapped and we ought to start over again? So I, I love the way you phrased that. I mean, it's, it's actually a perfect construct because what I've been arguing for some time now is a couple of things. Number one, other transactions actually in their execution, if you look at the agreements themselves, the way they actually play out, are not as far outside the bounds as you would think they might be. What they look a lot like are what we call FAR Part 12 or commercial contracts done under the FAR as they were intended to be when this authority was created in the late 90s. But what's happened since that time is there have been about 150 clauses added to these what they call Part 12 contracts, so they've really diluted their effectiveness. So they actually don't go way beyond the bounds of what a lot of us have thought would be reasonable within a federal procurement environment. But I think the real core issue here is that in many ways – We've seen a shift, and this is particularly true at DOD, where if you go back 20, 25 years and there were changes proposed, the hardest community to get to come along with those changes were often the military leadership because they didn't trust the change. What we're seeing now is it's the military leadership that's driving the change. So if you take it to an area you know very well, customer experience, customer satisfaction, that's what's really driving this. And it's a message to the procurement community or the acquisition community writ large, which is much larger than contracting that we're not feeling like we're getting satisfaction from the process that you are implementing. We're going to go over here and do this. So the question is, when do we actually decide that the traditional model needs to be scrapped? I think that that's a really interesting construct because uh, what we have happening is really the first, I I won't say it's major because it's still a small percentage, but first real challenge to the primacy of the FAR in the 35 or 40 years I've been around this business. And um, what I'd like to see happen, and people often say, and you'll get a kick out of this, well, OTAs are good for this or they're good for that, but we shouldn't use them everywhere. My question is, my point is, that's the entire wrong question. The question is, are they delivering quality? Do they drive competition? Are they transparent? And do they adhere to the basic principles of public procurement? And if the answers to those things are yes, why wouldn't you use them? It ought to be the new way of doing business. Yeah. So I think we're in the early stages of that discussion. Uh, I'd like to think that the acquisition community, I know a lot of acquisition leaders are getting this message, and they're struggling a little bit because they have entire workforces that have been brought up in a system that's not necessarily uh, inclined to do business this way. So if the enthusiasm for OTAs is indicative of the potential appetite for the kind of change that Robert's talking about, then there's plenty of it. Because I saw something at um, the West Conference that FCA and USNI put on in San Diego. I saw something there in February this year I'd never seen before, which is a whole booth dedicated to explaining to the vendors in the room. And I, I don't know who put it on. I should have gone and looked. but It was probably one of the consortiums. It was the back thing in the booth was other transaction authorities and the whole point of it was to educate the vendors there about how to do them so it obviously indicates that 
what you're saying, that people want to do business this way and people want to do more business this way. So in the private sector, in the commercial side, everybody and their brother wants to get on an, an OTA because they see them happening and it's a, it's, they are great vehicles and they move relatively quickly. They give you their, they are pure performance-based contracts. You get a one-paragraph statement of a problem, you submit a five-page solution of how you would answer the problem, the customer can select. I mean, it's really a very performance-based approach. So in the government, I think there's still a very mixed reaction, particularly in the acquisition community. Still a lot of resistance outside of the acquisition community. Again, principally at DOD because they have this authority to take it through life. It's a little bit greater. Now, there are some challenges. I think one of the concerns that, that I have is, uh, so there's two different ways to do, uh, just real quickly, another transaction. One is through what's called a consortium, and there are 20-some-odd consortiums that are literally what they sound like. They're membership organizations that have contractual relationships within DOD. And so if I'm at Spa War and I want to do something, I go to cons Consortium X, give them the problem statement. All of their members get to respond to it. A winner is selected by the Navy, and then the consortium actually handles the contracting and so forth. That's a nice, clean way to do it. It, it takes a lot of the, the burdensome bureaucratic processes and so forth out of, the, out of the game. The problem is the consortiums, in some ways, by definition, are a limited field of competition. About two-thirds of the members of most of them are traditional contractors. Now, that's fine as long as they're funneling new capability. But, you know, if I have 300 members of Consortium X and they're the only ones in the universe who see this opportunity, what about the other 30,000 companies around the world that might have the answer to that question? So we're going to face some competition questions and figure out what's the best use because consortiums have a value. But you've got to be careful that you don't constrain it. I mean, one of them is 12 or 1,500 members now. And about two-thirds of them are, are – and people are joining all the time because it, there's no qualifications. You just pay to join, um, which is fine because you don't get any work unless you actually have the quals. So how do we m master the competition question to achieve the goal, which really is – and this is what you see at Transcom Navy with Spa War doing their entire business logistics enterprise system. It's 20-some-odd systems across the Navy, the redo of those through OTAs. How do I make sure I'm getting out to the fullest – broadest possible marketplace to get answers. So the Defense Innovation Unit, as a, as a convert to that, does not use consortia. It goes direct to the marketplace, and you work directly with DIU. So there's two different ways to do it, um, and, and you know each have their strengths. And I think that's the next step, is to make sure we start working on those so we don't get caught up in a, a debate over the wrong issues and have the whole thing get tamped down before yeah. we really have the, the evidence. So speaking of Tamping down, what do these and other flexibilities do to the protests that you see hampering the procurement process? There are, there are no protests on OTAs. Well, let me take that back. I, I'm wrong. No lawyer could find a good reason to screw up an OTA procurement. Well, so no, there actually are protests. So GAO did take uh, jurisdiction over OTAs. They are contracts in a case with U.S. Transportation Command, but they're, they're very rare because they are purely performance-based. And so it's kind of hard to – if I give you a one-paragraph statement of a problem and you come in with a solution, and I've told you I'm going to figure out which one or two solutions I think best meet my needs, you don't have the whole litany of requirements. I've gone through a few of them with clients where they don't tell you a whole lot because they don't know what they're looking for you. This is the whole point. So they're not protest-proof. They are protestable, but they're very difficult to protest. And what's the Transportation Command protest about? That was about um, – the Transportation Command protest was on their cloud migration contract. And what they uh, – Those aren't those aren't without controversy? Yeah. yeah. And, and so what they did – and this was um, – I know. I wanted to get them to talk Jedi. <laughs> we can talk Jedi if you want. But this was actually an OTA with the Defense Innovation Unit. 
The Defense Innovation Unit also has an authority that no one else has, which is if you get under contract to them, once you've been through the prototype phase and go to contract, others within the department can buy off that contract without a competition. It's, it's, it's sort of an open season. In the case of the, the cloud migration contract at Transcom, they did not make that part of the public announcement. Huh. So after they awarded it to, the, to one company, they then subsequently announced that we're going to expand this from a $65 million contract to a potentially $800 million contract. And that was, the, 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 as I understand the GAO decision, was they, had they made clear that that was a possibility up front, that probably would have been okay. You went to where I wanted to wrap up, Stan, and that is what are the potential problems? We've talked about this like this is a wonderful solution, and, and it sounds like it is a good solution. But are there unintended consequences? You talked about some of the potential uh, shortcomings or roadblocks to this be, being expanded, but are there others that people should keep in mind? Well, I think the biggest one, uh, the biggest, there's a couple I think we're going to see. There's probably going to be some questions raised about cost transparency. I personally am not too worried about that because under Part 12 of the Federal Acquisition Regulation and commercial contracts, we've pretty well dealt with that. And these are almost always fixed price deals. So that's one issue people are going to want to hammer on. Making sure we're getting the broadest possible competition is another. But the other piece that really hasn't been addressed yet that I think is answerable has also come up in the context of what they call the Amazon for Government Clause around GSA, which is how do you achieve the socioeconomic goals under a purely commercial model? We figured it out under the FAR, so even Part 12 contracts have those requirements. So how do you structure these deals so that you are, if you're going to go to these larger requirements, because you could have a small OTA that balloons into a $100 million contract. Mm-hmm. Um, there are tools and methods to do that, and I think it's how do we do it? Are we willing to accept different models and different measures for how we hit small business or veteran-owned or women-owned or other socioeconomicals? I think that's another issue that's going to have to be dealt with. Stan Soloway, it's great to see you as always, my friend. My pleasure. Let me Thank just you say guys. you're one of the greatest contributors to public administration. Your Your contributions are second to none, and that you found time to spend with us is a real privilege. I am shocked, stunned, and humbled by that statement. Yeah, Thank I you. am too. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Thank it's you great to see you. Thanks. Thanks for coming in. And nice to see you as always. Great episode. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.